Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 78, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Sea Moon One. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. Before we get into it, let's just talk about our weird voices. I don't know. <laughs> we sound off. Mm, yeah. I I don't know what it was this week. Um uh, but I I'm tr- I'm battling a cough right now. It, it was like a slight cold earlier, but yeah, I, I I've taken some cough suppressants and hopefully my voice sounds a little bit better, but yeah, we both caught something this week. Not sure where from. Uh, but yes, bear with us because I know right now we probably sound like uh, monotonous stand voices or something. We sound very nasally, but yeah. it'll be a good discussion either way because um, we are entering. I feel like we've been entering the final phase of Stone Ocean for a while now, but we really are kind of in the thick of it because now we have Sea Moon, which is localized as Sea moon how clever so the stand name i guess the non-localized version is the letter c dash moon and here we have the localized name as c s e e moon okay i i have to give it to them if they have to localize it this is pretty damn good this is what i want from localized names i want it to be as close to the original as possible if not go the complete opposite direction and make it something absolutely insane like when they took limp biscuit and made it flaccid pancake even though we didn't get that in the anime yeah by the same logic they could have called instead of calling diver down diver drive they could have called it diver dawn as in like the sun rises at dawn diver or just dawn. be like just fucking call it diver up i don't know <laughs> just go the opposite <laughs> or, direction <laughs> or like weather report uh you could say weather report as in weather w-h-e-t-h-e-r <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> you know it's, it's not copyright infringing in a way <laughs> yeah if they can get away with sea moon they could probably have gotten away with other ones like that but Hey, you know, of the localized names we've come across, this one's pretty good. I'm, I'm happy with it. Again, it's like the necessary evil when it comes to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, localizing titles that they don't have to spend a fortune on, you know, copyright or royalties or whatever. So yeah, we've got Sea Moon for the next two episodes. And we're going to kick off this episode. We're going to kick it off right because we have a very special patron shout out to Ooh. our newest patron, scrumps hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly but yes scrumps thank you so much for supporting us welcome to the strictly fam patreon hope you're enjoying the content and we're very glad to have you yes we definitely appreciate your support scrumps i would say in the vein of this episode it certainly helps keep us grounded and on top of that, Scrumps is also an active member of our Discord. So thank you as well for being part of our Discord community and hanging out with us. And if any of you would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-show, see our show scheduled to know what's coming up in the next month or so, even submit questions for us to answer on our podcast and in our patron-only Q&A, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. And another shout out is due because we have a Discord member who let us know we missed a meme. Wow, all these JoJo fact checkers in our Discord recently. I love it because honestly, sometimes no, it keeps it's hard us on to, our toes. Yeah. It's hard to keep uh, keep all these memes straight. But this one comes from our Discord member Martin Riz Divi, if I'm saying that right. Uh, and Martin mentioned that there was a meme that would have been part of the final episode of the weather report arc so i think would have been weather or heavy forecast heavy forecast heavy weather three i'm guessing would have been that episode um, or maybe the one right before it where poochie strikes a very iconic pose a very weird and unique pose um during a moment of the Anasui weather report Poochie battle. So the panel in particular, and let me preface this by saying that Martin mentions that this particular pose, even though it's very beloved by the JoJo community, did not make it into the anime. So it is a manga-only meme. But the pose happens as Anasui and Weather Report are laying on the ground. Anasui's got snails all over him. Um, I think he's 
in the process of being attacked by the snails or transformed and whether reports laying there with one of his legs chopped off. So if you can kind of imagine where that falls within that episode and that sequence, that's when Poochie would have struck that pose if they added it to the anime. Why is he even posing? Like I I don't it, know. Maybe it, he has to take a dump. I yeah, can't it tell. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of like medieval paintings, how they would weirdly pose certain figures. You know what I'm talking about? Like the really, yeah, um, yeah, like of, of kings or of knights. But it kind <laughs> of reminds me of it reminds me of the opposite pose of Josuke's final pose from part four, the backbreaking pose, oh. where he likes he like puts his hand on his waist and like juts his chest forward, but in a way that looks like it's snapping his spine. Poochie's kind of doing the opposite because he's got his hand on his thigh and he's like thrusting his shoulders forward and his butt out. Yeah, his elbow, his left elbow is almost too displaced. <laughs> it's making me uncomfortable. It's really funny looking. And of course, we'll we'll post a, uh, a, a screenshot of the the pose itself from the manga in our Discord. So if you're not a member of our Discord, the link to join is in the description. But yeah, this is a good one. I'm kind of sad I didn't make it into the anime. I think it should have. Because I also think we haven't done our... Uh, our mini segment, Iconic Jojo Pose in a While, just because we haven't had Iconic Jojo Poses in a while. I feel like a mm -hmm. lot of them from Stone Ocean happened in the first core when they were introducing characters. But this one definitely would have been part of our Iconic Jojo Pose segment. Hey, and and it, it still can be. I think we should still you know, call that out. So it's kind of a, a double whammy here. It's a meme that we missed as well as an Iconic Jojo Pose. And thank you so much, Martin Rizdivy, for calling this one out. We appreciate it. Last thing to bring up before our discussion is that we have a small piece of JoJo news. Uh, this comes from an article from JoJoNews.com where it says Medicos reveals new JoJo figures and statues at Wonder Festival 2023 winter. So if, for those who don't know, Wonder Festival is a semi-annual event that's held in Chiba, Japan, that focuses on upcoming anime figures and I guess gunpla kits for collectors to peruse and anticipate for the year. Um, so for, I guess, the winter portion of the festival, uh, Medicos, who does a lot of the posable JoJo figures, um, announced their new slate of figures to come out in the year. Um, I won't mention some of the figures because I think they're based on characters that appear in parts 8 and 9. Uh, so for those of you who want to remain spoiler-free of those parts, um, just if you read this article, uh, read it with caution. Uh, but some of the interesting ones to point out, uh, they are doing a super figure art collection statue or statues for Jolene and Poochie. Um, it shows them in kind of grayscale form. I don't know if they'll add color to it when the figure eventually releases. Uh, there's also, I think a, this was announced earlier, I think this year or towards the end of last year, a posable Jotaro Kujo figure um, in his outfit from part six. And the cool thing is I think one of the heads for this Jotaro figure is the one with the discs protruding from his face that we see in his demise in, well, in the anime, it would be Stone Ocean part one. So... It'd be cool to get that in a statue form and not like a posable form, but I that remains to be seen. I completely agree because that manga panel of Jotaro with the two disc discs in his face has to be one of my favorite. Okay, well, I was going to say one of my favorite JoJo manga panels, but I haven't read anything other than Stone Ocean. And I feel like I've only seen a handful of like memeable panels from jojo the manga in general but it is one of my favorite images from from jojo um i forever wanted this this art print and t-shirt that took that image and, and kind of like colorized it a little bit but i didn't want to get it because i didn't want to spoil anything for you <laughs> yeah so now that you know maybe now i can buy it but yeah I, I agree i think that is such an iconic moment from stone ocean and i would love to see it in like a full statue type of figure versus the posable ones and i think i've shared this before but i'm not 
I'm not huge on posable figures in general, especially the JoJo one. Something about them just always kind of looks off to me. And it's not to say I don't love them because I actually do own several of them. But if I were to choose, if I were to choose between, you know, one character in the posable form versus like a statue form, I'm always going to pick the statue. I mean, yeah, they're built to be like almost fully articulated because of course you'd want to put your Jojo figures into Jojo poses. But the catch to that, of course, is yes, you'll see like visible joints or like, what do you call them? Ball joints or just any of those areas that are exposed in order for the figure to be the articulated knees, the elbows, properly. the chest. Like, right. Yeah. So yeah, just a lot of these cut lines instead of like very seamless body parts. Uh, but yeah, here's to hoping that we'll get a proper statue of the Jotaro disc face um, in the future. The Jolene statue, even though it's in grayscale, looks really, really nice. I'm super mm-hmm. excited to see that one colorized because the way she's posing is just so renaissance so elegant so badass um so i feel like that's gonna be a really cool figure that i probably can't afford and of course there are other characters with figures from other parts of jojo um some are mentioned from part five one i wanted to bring up though is that there are swarovski crystal variants of the pillar men from part two that are being released. Although it says here that Cars is already sold out because it was limited to the first 80 customers. But wow, they're, they are looking bedazzled in their Swarovski crystals. Yeah, what the fuck? That's crazy. That's like, okay, they're posable figures again. So I'm like, you know, I'm hype, but not like super hype. But yeah, I mean, what other anime figure line what other anime has figures that also have Swarovski crystals on them? I, maybe there are some. I don't know. But this is the first time ever seeing anything like this. I'm, this is the first time I'm ever seeing Swarovski acknowledge anime. So that just tells you that JoJo really has a hold on at least the fashion industry in Japan or like accessories industry in Japan. And that is just, it's so unique. It's so cool. Yeah, so if you'd like to... Read the article yourself and peruse through the photos of all the upcoming figures. Uh, I forgot to mention there's also Nendoroids coming up, although we're not big fans of Nendoroid figures. Uh, But we'll share a link to the article in the Discord. Again, just be warned that it does contain photos of character figures for parts 8 and 9. Wait. (laughs) Parts 7 and (laughs) 8. We we don't have anything on 9 yet. (laughs) I feel like I mentioned... yeah. I think I said part eight and nine before too. I mean parts seven and eight. I had to think about that one. I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Because Jojo Lands hasn't come out yet. Let's jump into the episode, Sea Moon Part One. What were your initial thoughts on the introduction of Poochie's second evolution stand? It's kind of like Koichi's stand with like the three evolutions. Here we get evolution number two and it's a combo of the baby and uh white snake yeah it's uh see moon hear moon speak moon instead of like see no evil hear no evil speak no evil (laughs) um i just noticed that this was a very action oriented episode i don't know if we really had one um in a while or i'm trying to recall from stone ocean part three if we'd had an episode that was just so wholly dedicated to action and and stand-to-stand combat, as I like to call it. I kind of like that break because one thing that I'm noticing for part six that is maybe different a bit than parts five and parts four, and granted, it's been a little bit since I've watched parts four and five, so maybe I'm I'm speaking incorrectly, but I felt I feel like Stone Ocean feels more like part three where there's action every episode. There's something crazy happening every episode. And then I felt like parts four and five had their episodes where they were more subdued. It was more story driven. Um, It kind of gave you a break from, you know, constant action packed stand battles. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know if I prefer one over the other. It's just nice to kind of have like a balance of them. And 
I feel like Stone Ocean just leans far heavier on the action side of things than like the story driven things. So it's kind of nice to take a to have that break to have that change. But it's not to say I don't appreciate a good action packed episode because this one flew by in my mind. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I wanted to ask you this. What do you think is worse? Dio flinging around Jonathan's carotid artery or seeing Jolene's fingers turn inside out. The artery. That that's one, that <laughs> one still hits me in a way that like I just can't handle. I think what comes close to that, at least in recent memory, is the toenail from the second core of Stone Ocean with uh, what, uh, Vivian Westwood, Guard Westwood. Oh, yeah. When she like puts the string around his toenail and rips it backwards. That was brutal. Mm-hmm. That came very close <laughs> to the the queasiness I felt with the um, the artery from part one. But I, I got to give it to Rocky for just making the most gruesome of injuries. And of course, David Production for making these really gross injuries just make your skin crawl or maybe your insides turn i know imagine having to to animate that frame by frame (laughs) props to the animation team (laughs) but all right jojo fans fly me to the sea moon because we're about to dive her down into our synopsis and discussion for part six episode 34 sea moon one It's topsy-turvy day for Jolene's appendages as Whitesnake's newest Pokemon evolution continues to taunt her contorted torso. Realizing that the Pokemon's defiance of gravity is to put its thing down, flip it, and reverse it, the juvenile Jojo smackledorfs the super sinister stand by wrapping Stone Freeze thread around its neck and using Hisokasui as a counterweight to prevent it from living long enough to celebrate the next Lunar New Year. But Poochie the Pokemon trainer shows up at just the wrong moment with an inconveniently played Uno reverse card to become the center of both gravity and attention, instructing his Pokemon to turn Jolene into the newest member of the Donut Gang and giving her a mortal brain freeze. But all hope is not lost because Daddy's back! as a fully cognizant and fully cocked Jotaro slips into Emporio's DMs and instructs the remaining prison posse pair to protect his precious progeny, as he is certain Jolene pulled her own Una reverse card on Poochie Gangier at the last second. Hisoka Sui takes the directive to heart and flies full speed towards the pestilent priest to protect his darling damsel in distress, and hopefully earn some brownie points with her dad. And now into our next segment Wait, really quick. But did Jolene join the donut gang? She didn't get donutted. Mm, there was no hole. Okay, so the, the munchkin. She just got gutted. <laughs> the munchkin gang. I don't know. <laughs> the munchkin know. gang. <laughs> she definitely got punched in the gut. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I would argue maybe not exactly donut gang. Okay. No, you're right. I think cause, just because I saw the punch through the torso, I just immediately thought donut. I know. Rocky loves gut punches, torso punches. Although the next episode, you kind of see through her. Well, that was of her own accord. She, mm. she does that of her own accord. But like Anasui gets donutted in a few episodes. Okay. There's an to, For me to consider it donut gang qualification, like it, it needs to be a fist straight through to the other side. Like the fist needs to exit the body on the other side. Okay. Because it's always a fucking fist and it's always in the torso. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So half donut gang because she, she doesn't even die anyways. So <laughs> we should, we should like tally up or like review all of the donut members, all of the donut gang members, how mm-hmm. they were donutted. Because it is, you know what? People, this is like totally side note, but um, I'm sure people would criticize other creators for using the same method to either almost destroy or actually kill off characters throughout their entire series. For some reason, we don't care. As JoJo fans, we're like, donut everyone that you ever want, Rocky. Just mm-hmm. keep giving us more JoJo. <laughs> Just, you can donut a character in every fucking part, and we won't, we won't complain about it. Yeah, I guess I stand corrected. But again, it's <laughs> jo- Jolene doesn't die, so she isn't an official member of the Donut King. So I'll just say the half donut or, or the munchkin gang. But to move on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. 
and we just have one reference in this episode, and that is a music reference with White Snake's evolved stand, Sea Moon. This is a reference to Sea Moon, a 1972 reggae song performed by Wings, a British-American rock band formed by former Beatles member Paul McCartney. In a tie-in with another JoJo reference, the guitarist for Wings, Denny Lane, was a former member of the band The Moody Blues. And I feel like Araki may have used this song title, uh, Sea Moon, because there is one lyric in this song that pertains to heaven, which is, it will be L7 and I'd never get to heaven. Wait, did you say White Snake's Evolve Stand? You mean Poochie's Evolve Stand? Well, I said it with, like, it's White Snake, but then it evolves into this stand. But it sounds like you're saying White Snake Stand. Okay, I stand corrected again. <laughs> it's Sea Moon, which is Poochie's Evolved Stand from White Snake. Thanks. Moving on. <laughs> before you correct me anymore. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And there are none, question mark. Although, any of our listeners out there, if you catch one from this episode, please reach out. Let us know. So one question that I have throughout this episode, or I was, you know, paying close attention to throughout this episode, is whether Sea Moon is a sentient stand. I had made a note of that from the very first time that we watched this episode, and I, I wanted to come back to that um, during this rewatch. And I feel like I'm leaning towards it not being a sentient stand, but I'll call it a couple of things towards the end of the episode that kind of gave me some some hesitation on like whether it actually is sentient or sentient or not. What would you consider white snake a sentient stand? Yeah, I think we established um in our earlier discussions that white snake technically is a sentient stand, but he only so I have a note here under our sentient stands list that he only really becomes sentient or appears sentient starting at episode 21 of part six so white snake isn't inherently or at least obviously sentient when it's first introduced but as we can see here with Poochie's stands they tend to grow like they need time to grow because in this episode i know i'm jumping ahead he says that he needs to save sea moon because his stand is still incomplete it's still growing so maybe that's part of what white snake was doing it was growing and then it became sentient at some point I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking into it too much, but we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Sea Moon possibly being sentient. See, the only thing that I noticed about Sea Moon is that it has little arrows sticking out of its like shoulders, or I guess it's it's back, which I guess thematically fits in with how it can affect gravity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they start this episode off. Um, very intensely because they started off immediately with showing the inverted fingers that you kept pausing when we were rewatching the episode because I was still like uh, catching up on my notes. But then you would pause like right after the opening started and then you're like, oh, wait. And then we rewind because it's gross to look at. I mean, the parts that I did pause on, it just kind of looks like uh, like a, a kneaded dough. The first time you paused, the fingernail yeah, the was first, ripping off. Yeah, okay, <laughs> like, that was oh, kind of gross. But then the other times where I had paused it again, um, it wasn't as graphic. Yeah, it doesn't get, like, it starts off graphic in the very initial seconds, and then it's not as graphic, but then it gets graphic when those fingers, like, the meat fingers start, like, flailing around in her fist, like the little red meaty ones. I don't know, it's just, whew, it's, it's gnarly to think about. Yeah, I wonder if like the in-betweeners who had to animate those parts, like if they ever felt queasy at all or, you know, had to have like a what you, the, the, like a sick bag like they have on airplanes <laughs> just because of how graphic those those scenes are. I love how freaked out Emporio gets, though, um, not as much at Jolene's fingers, but more so uh, at watching Sea Moon like flipping around everywhere when you finally see it like moving at its full capacity and it's it's doing all these like acrobatic tricks and, and moving at an insane pace. He's just like, whoa, like the, the noise he makes is so funny. Like he's just totally freaked out by the stand. Yeah, I think because he's still a fucking kid. Yeah. <laughs> he's just mesmerized by by everything. Especially because it's his... I mean, yeah, this isn't like something you'd normally see in the outside world. 
but like it's his first excursion and and this, this is, is what he has to be subjected <laughs> yeah. to like we promise in porio the outside world is not normally this terrifying yeah poor kid but he does manage to figure out that simon's ability makes gra- makes like gravity pull in the opposite direction so it like reverses the gravitational pull so instead of i don't know like pulling things inward it then pulls it outward and flips it in reverse so that's why Jolene's body is doing all the weird things that it's doing. So in the midst of this fight, Jolene throws Emporio to Anasui to save him over like saving herself, which is, you know, so nice of her. Like she still wants to protect Emporio. So she still recognizes that he doesn't have any chance in a fight because he doesn't have a fighting stand and he's just a kid. So it was kind of nice to see her and Anasui work together to get Emporio over to safety. But what weirds me out or maybe not weirds me out, but concerns me, is that Jolene does seem very freaked out by her body parts inverting, but she has no reaction to pain. Is there no pain associated with what's happening? Because she's Mm. very calm, at least on the pain front. Like, she's not saying it's painful. She's not screaming from pain. She's not moaning or groaning. She's just kind of, like, looking at her body parts and is like, ew, what's going on? Yeah, because she was screaming in pain in other episodes, like, with... The fight against Guard Westwood, I felt like she was like screaming out a lot. Maybe right? that's part of her growth, because then I think mm-hmm. about her fight with Rekiel, and she lit herself on fire, but she wasn't screaming in pain like you'd think a person lit on fire would. So maybe it's her JoJo evolution. Yeah, maybe she has a higher tolerance, a higher threshold of pain now, which I kind of just attribute to any JoJo by default. But yeah... Just thinking about in real life, if if your body were to invert itself, that would be extremely painful. Hell yeah, especially with what's happening with her fingers. That's got to be excruciating. But regardless, she's calm because she immediately realizes in this fight that she can reverse the gravity the gravity change by getting touched by Sea Moon in the same spots again, and that just undoes everything that was done the first time. She also realizes that the stand can take damage as normal from being hit. So it's it doesn't seem like, to, like it's a power stand. Um, maybe it's a little more like physically weak, but it does move incredibly fast and doesn't take much to to do a lot of damage to somebody other than like grazing it or touching it in some way. Also like to point out that there's another instance of her saying her line, yada yada dawa feel like they're just throwing it in now since there's only like five four or five episodes left of stone ocean so might as well get it as much mileage out of that line as possible i think my favorite part of this fight though that makes it stand out from other fights is that she's literally throwing hands with a stand like she's just Mm -hmm. fist fighting a stand i mean in in the beginning she's dodging it because she doesn't want to get um, touch and then have the gravitational pull be flipped but then at another point when she realizes that she can damage the stand she's just throwing hands with the stand and the stand's dodging her punches and it tries to punch her and she dodges its punches it's just so funny because that's like the most basic form of fighting and you don't get that a lot in jojo although in stone ocean you did get a decent amount of that during the westwood fight um so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to see her just fist fighting another being and of course if there were any non-stand users around they would just see a girl on top of (laughs) on top of a box office punching the air yeah (laughs) i didn't even think about that it's also interesting to note that jolene was just able to determine that simon is a remote controlled stand because she was noting its precise movements i was thinking was there any other instance in stone ocean where there was a stand that was also like remote controlled um and i had to dig into the jojo wiki for this um the only other two remote controlled stands that are featured in stone ocean are manhattan transfer and white snake yeah because i i found this interesting um i did also take note of this that she She's like, this is not an automated stand, it's a remote-controlled stand, meaning Poochie is nearby watching and controlling it. Um, I found this interesting because I think back to Yo-Yo Ma, 
And the fact mm-hmm. that that's a fully automated stand because D&G was not anywhere near Yo-Yo Ma. It was, they were doing two totally separate things. But Yo-Yo Ma was highly intelligent for a stand because it could communicate. It was kind of sentient. Like being an automated, most automated stands are sentient stands because they need to be to a certain degree, but not all of them. Um, so it's just, it's just a weird thought to be like, well, it's it has really precise movements, so it must be remote controlled. When Yo-Yo Ma had, I mean, it was goofy, it was clumsy, but you could say that it had precise movements because it didn't need any assistance in order to do what it needed to do to attack Anasui and Jolene. Yeah, but I just figured because she's had experience with uh, Manhattan Transfer, which is John Gallier's stand, and of course White Snake with Poochie, that she was just able to presume that based on those experiences. But yeah, it's just weird because I wouldn't have figured her to be a, a stand expert by this point. Cause I don't even know how much time has passed since she was in prison and then broke out of prison. But it's not like, you know, like Jotaro obviously is, an, is probably an expert in stands. But that's because he's had so much experience and knowledge with it. She learns quickly. That's, that's definitely what we learned. She she learns quickly, picks up on things quickly, just like her, her father. So I'm guessing she's just seen enough in the prison and outside of the prison to be able to discern what type of stand Seamoon is. But then that brings up my question, is it not a sentient stand? Because if it's a remote controlled stand and it can only behave this way because Poochie's nearby watching and controlling it, that to me makes it seem like it's more like a stone... Uh, you know, like a, a stone free or a star platinum where like it's only moving because Poochie is willing it to move. It's not sentient. And I feel like when it's speaking, it's it's actually Poochie speaking kind of like the the way we initially saw White Snake, that it was Poochie speaking through White Snake. Yeah. But then there's the scene after or in the second half of this episode where Poochie speaks directly to the stand yes so we'll put put that on pause because i do want to talk about that too that's why i'm kind of on the fence about sea moon is because then that scene comes up um later on so yeah we'll we'll definitely dive into that when we get to that part in the midst of this fight um anasui gets flung off the ground (laughs) technically right like he's diver downing into the ground even though it looks like a wall to us based on our perspective but yeah he's falling from the ground sideways because of gravity. So Jolene saves him by wrapping her string around him and then around Seamoon's neck as sort of like leverage for uh, Anasui, but also to choke out Seamoon. And Anasui and Emporio implore Jolene to let him fall so the strings don't get inverted by Seamoon touching it. And he said, Anasui says that Jolene isn't the type to give up but this situation is just crazy. And I'm like, of really, this situation, honestly, of all the things that she's done that you've witnessed, this situation is crazy? I'm like, what about when she lit herself on fire? And granted, he wasn't there for that, so he doesn't know about that. But there, there's other things that she's done in front of him that I think are equally crazy. Yeah. I mean, what else do you expect at this point? The stakes have been raised so much. And Jolene's willing to do anything. But yeah, I don't think this would rank very high on the craziest things Jolene has done. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like if the string inverts and makes its way all the way up to her, her arm will flip inside out. Maybe that's what he meant by the craziest thing. Like the fact that her body's going to flip it and reverse it. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm also like she just figured out that all she has to do is get Simoon to touch her again in that spot. Mm-hmm. Not that not that it's an easy task by any means, but it's not like a it's a permanent damage thing. Also, do you think that was just dragged out that Seamoon wasn't able to grasp at the thread right away? Like you just see him kind of fumble. I mean, thinking realistically, you would just immediately grab anything that's pulling at your neck. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I definitely think it was dragged out. And also, why is Seamoon trying to grab the string from behind its head? Right. Just touch your neck right in the front where the strings are already around you. So, yeah, I, I don't know why it was trying to grab from behind. I don't know why it had such a hard time doing that because I feel like even right now as we're sitting here, I could reach my hand behind my, my neck and touch where the string would you know, hypothetically be 
or again, mm-hmm. just literally touch the front of your neck. That's probably the easier way to do it. But you know, it's it's that JoJo logic. Things need to be dramatically drawn out in a very strange way. Or I guess you could also see it as if if Simun is a hybrid of White Snake and the Green Baby, maybe that's like you know the, the Green Baby still like trying to develop in its learning. And so it doesn't know right away, like you could just grab the thread by your neck instead of behind you. That's an interesting concept because then I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but then Poochie comes out and says, I need to save my stand because it's not complete yet or it's not fully grown yet. Mm -hmm. But that leads us into the eye catch. Yes. And so we have a new stand in the eye catch this time around, of course, with the stand stats for C-Moon. And this is kind of interesting because destructive power is at none, speed is at B, range is at B, durability is unknown, precision and accuracy is unknown, and development potential is unknown. And I think that the fact that there's so much mystery behind Simoon's abilities is what makes it as equally dangerous as its visible powers with with gravity and and inverting gravity do you think using the unknown piece was just a quick way to not have to actually build out stats for the stand because it's only around for two episodes oh yeah i'm sure i i I would just talk it up to being like they araki wanted to really sell that sea moon is a stand that is just a force to be reckoned with it does remind me of koichi's uh what the fuck is what's going to echoes yeah echoes act two i think was the shortest one of all of them right like it only it was only there for a little bit or was it act one was the shortest one i i feel like it was act one but it could have been act two well yeah either way one of the iterations of act echoes act one, two, or three just felt like it came and went really fast and that's kind of what we're getting here with sea moon it's really two full episodes that we get of sea moon and then that's it so i don't know i guess it'll just remain a mystery even to poochie perhaps after the eye catch we get a bit of a break from what's going on with jolene as we see a scene of rescue teams unable to get near the zone i guess with the gravity changes because when they try to they succumb to that gravitational pull happening in a different direction um they comment that the damage is crazy there's so many casualties and they don't know how they can they can go and help anybody we also see helicopters fly overhead and then lose control because they can't tell which way is up and all of this makes me think about how unique poochie's stand is or how unique he is as a jojo villain because the impact that he has as a villain is on a much larger scale than I think any other villain we've had in JoJo, right? You don't think Dio has had like that much of an impact? I think he has slowly over time, but I'm thinking like Poochie just showed up to the Kennedy Space Center and then rocked everyone's world by having like a, a miles wide in diameter zone of like gravitational pole changes that fucked everyone up and killed a bunch of people it's, it's like catastrophic if you think about it mm. is there any other main jojo villain that had that that could or did do damage on such a catastrophic large scale yeah i guess on a on a grand level like comparing poochie to other main villains the other villains or antagonists they were most their stand abilities were mostly focused on a particular individual, usually of course like a a, a JoJo, uh, but yeah with Poochie, his stand is affecting, <laughs> it's affecting the makeup of the entire world, or if not that then the the state of Florida, um, so yeah it's, it's it's directly impacting a lot more people and a lot more lives. You could argue that every one of the stand-based JoJo villains, because they have time as their JoJo power, they technically impact the rest of the world because if Dio stops time, it's probably stopping time for the entire world. If Diavolo has a time skip, it's probably skipping that time for the entire world. If Kira rewinds time, 
it's probably doing that for the entire fucking world but is it killing millions not millions but like a, a good chunk of people are is it killing you know all of these innocent bystanders all mm. in one fell swoop i'd say no no yeah because it's again those are singularly focused like each of those villains are doing or taking those actions with their stands in order to overcome wh- whoever their opponent opponent is at that particular time and that makes Pucci so morally ambiguous because he keeps saying that his goal of attaining heaven will benefit everybody it will bring everyone the ultimate happiness so he's doing something that he claims is to benefit all of humanity yet he's the one doing by far the most immediate damage and the largest scale of damage out of all the JoJo villains. So that was just something I wanted to know is, is as this rescue team is talking about everything that's happening, I'm like, shit, we've never really seen a scene like this um, where, and I could be wrong, someone correct me if I'm wrong, um, where we have outsiders, you know, like third-party people commenting on like just the sheer damage that's happening from a JoJo villain. I was going to say, what well, there's weather report but weather report's not a jojo villain of course he's definitely not <laughs> he's a joe bro um, <laughs> the the thing that i took from this uh scene with the helicopter and and the soldiers is it's just funny because like it's not the goddamn military that has to put a stop to the danger it's up to these three flamboyantly dressed characters at the space center (laughs) some like local florida police force or something (laughs) it's up to a florida man woman and child (laughs) (laughs) so going back to the fight with jolene and simon there were some like out of context emporio moments that just i think would be really funny if you had no idea what he was talking about so he screams um, so Simon touches some tiles, right, to get them to fly at Jolene. And Emporio screams, he flipped over the tiles again as if, like, that's the most terrifying, powerful move any stand has ever done. And I'm just thinking, like, out of context, that would sound so mundane. Like, he flipped over the tiles again. And then it's, like, between that and everyone screaming about a string, I can't imagine, like, trying to explain that to a non-JoJo viewer who hasn't seen all of the context around them. They'd probably be like, why is this string so important? It kind of reminds me of the SpongeBob episode where Patrick is hiding the string in that box, but then it actually reveals an embarrassing picture from the Christmas party. Right. (laughs) Like, why is this string such a big deal? Mm -hmm. This just makes me realize, like, how much Anasui and Emporio have, like, out speed wagon speed wagon in this episode because of of the things that they're commenting on and then them trying to tell jolene what to do uh and yeah this tile thing is no different anasui stays true to his love for jolene by fusing diver down into the the rope or the string that she's using and decides to then transfer the damage to himself. And I love her reaction here. She doesn't say much. She just kind of says Anasui's name. But you can tell she's surprised, like pleasantly surprised that he would do that for her. And I'm like, Jolene, of course he would. He's fucking in love with you. And he's told you a million times. Are you just now realizing this? It's kind of like how Jotaro can also be dense about these things. Jolene doesn't have time for love. She has she has a villain to defeat. Yeah, she's the world to save right now. So then Jolene tries to attack Simon and Pucci reveals himself all cocky and confidently. And when she tries to punch Simon, when she tries to punch Pucci, there's some sort of barrier. But they don't really explain what that barrier is. I'm guessing is it just like a gravitational pull bouncing her stance fists off of them? I have no clue. And even this synopsis I'm reading on the JoJo Wiki says when Jolene attacks him, an invisible force protects him. Well, is like the the Holy Spirit or something. (laughs) It's another moment where Araki just adds a new move that or a new ability for a stand user that we're probably never going to see again. But Pucci then does say that he is the gravitational center of everything. And when he says that, Jolene then starts to fly away in a totally different direction because now she's under a different gravitational pull or different gravitational direction because she's so close to him. And I don't know if that's Pucci intentionally changing her gravitational pull or if it just naturally does that because he got so close to her. But either way, she starts kind of like flying away from everybody. 
Um, and then that's when he says he came out, he revealed himself because he needs to rescue his stand because it's still incomplete and that his own powers are still growing. And he bends down towards Simoon to kind of coach it on like what it needs to do to defeat Jolene. And again, that, that makes me question, is the stand sentient? If it weren't sentient, he would just make Simoon do these things. But here mm-hmm. he's having to tell Simoon what to do. So is it sentient? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just so confused. I could go one way or the other with it. Yeah. I think it's just, it's unique. Because maybe it does retain the qualities of White Snake, where White Snake was a sentient stand, but with the green baby mixed in, it, it sort of becomes a hybrid. So it's like sentient, but still needs help. And that's why yeah. Poochie is giving it commands. Based on yeah. what Jolene was saying, he must be giving it commands from like a remote a remote spot. Mm-hmm. I also noticed that at that point, Simun still has the string around its neck. It hadn't snapped the rope yet. It was like in the process of trying to rip it in half. And I'm thinking to myself, if Simun's being choked out, why isn't Poochie being choked out? Oh, yeah. Hmm. So is it? Is that the? <laughs> is that it being a sentient stand? Well, I don't think that's a sentient stand question. It's just a stand question in general oh, because yeah. one of the core pieces of like logic when it comes to stands across any JoJo part is any and all damage taken by the stand is reflected directly onto the stand user. Mm, We've seen that time yeah. and time again. That was one of the first things that we learned about stands in part three when Avdal was trying to get Jotaro out of the jail is that whatever you do to your stand, whatever is done to your stand, will also happen to you as a stand user. Mm. Yeah, I can't explain my way out of that. I don't know, maybe <laughs> Poochie. Rocky forgot. Rocky forgot. <laughs> yeah, Poochie, this is one of his powers that are evolving, that and that weird barrier that he apparently has for a hot second. But alas, Simoon does make a clean hit to Jolene's chest and her insides start getting crushed and we hear the crushed noises until finally we hear a clean snap and that's when Anasui and Emporio freak out as she floats away lifeless. And I love the music change here. I don't know if it's like the music changes to something very quiet and somber or if they stop playing music altogether, but that that moment just really strikes a chord with you. I think there's the like that flash shot of Jolene as we realize that she's succumbed to that fatal wound that Simoon <laughs> had gut punched in her. Um, although, like, I had a feeling that she was going to survive, so this kind of felt like when we had thought Joseph died in part three. I mean, it was still shocking to to see a JoJo protagonist, quote-unquote, meet their fate, but... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the music had stopped during that flash frame and then it went into like a very somber melody. I think this was perhaps a missed opportunity on David Productions' part to have a really cool cliffhanger for an episode. Because imagine if they had Jolene floating away lifeless and Portio and Anasui freaking out that, you know, maybe she's died. And then Emporio gets a text message from Jotaro, but doesn't actually read it. Because you know how like you can see who texted you before actually opening it up? It usually says the name of the person. Mm-hmm. Imagine he opens up his phone. He just sees message from Jotaro Kujo. And he's like, oh, shit. Because in his head, he's thinking, oh, my God, his daughter just died. And here he is. He must, you know, he must be okay because he got the disc back. And the Speedwagon Foundation was able to help him. And then the episode just cuts off. That would have been really fucking cool. Yeah. I agree. Like, if they had ended the cliffhanger on, or ended the episode with a cliffhanger being the uh, Jotaro's text message, I think that would have been a great lead up into the next part of the Seamoon arc. Yeah, and like not even opening it, right? Because in the in, when Emporio opens it, he's like, "I know my daughter's still alive," because he can sense her. You know, Joe Joe Stars can sense other Joe Star individuals. So, like, not even opening the text, not even reading the context, just seeing a text from Jotaro. Like the moment after you think Jolene has died, that would have been really cool. Didn't pan out that way. There's still a little bit more that happens, but you know, I guess uh, 
it is what it is. And what happens is that Poochie thinks he's obtained a, a invincibility through his evolutions. He starts like, you know, commenting about how fucking badass he is. That's one thing with Poochie. He's very, very confident because he's got Dio in his corner. And so he starts like saying all these things about invincibility. Um, and the only thing I can really focus on at that point, because we get like these really um, nice close ups of Poochie, is that his eyelashes changed again. So, you know, when he got his first, um, like, iteration of his newsstand, which is when the, the green baby fused with him, and he's got these, like, long, fluffy white eyelashes. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in this, like, I guess, second transformation or, like, full transformation when he now has Sea Moon, the eyelashes are normal again. Oh, yeah, I see a picture of it. I know that's super minor, but I'm just thinking, like, was that intentional? Because this, the green baby is no longer, like, in his body. It's part of, like, his stand. Or is that just, like, a design mistake with Poochie that suddenly they forgot to draw long white eyelashes on him? Because that's that's one of the iconic things with Poochie's character design is that his eyelashes get all crazy in addition to having, like, lines of hair all over his face. I guess we'd have to compare it to how this scene appears in the manga. Because, um, yeah, I'm looking at the shot... I think it's the shot that you're talking about that just shows Poochie's eyelashes being a regular black color. Yeah. I don't know. That was just something I noted. Um, but yeah, you're right. We, we could probably compare that to the manga and see if they're just trying to be consistent with what's in the manga. Poochie also says in this moment that he doesn't long for power, but he longs for ultimate happiness. And he says that all these deaths that happened up until now were necessary sacrifices for him to like obtain his goal, which is ultimately to benefit everyone by giving them happiness. And again, I just think about how, I don't know if ironic is the right word, or just like backwards that is for Pucci because he's saying that he wants happiness for everyone, but he needs to kill a shitload of people in order to get it. And then those people that died, as we'll learn in like another episode or two, the people that died don't get to benefit from that. Uh, I think he tells him Porter that like they, they don't get to cross over or something like that into the new world or whatever the fuck he's trying to do. So I find Pucci to just be incredibly delusional, but in the greatest way, because a very delusional villain is a very difficult villain to deal with. Yeah, it you know, it's him trying or what was it? The, the ends justifying the means to him. And I think that's what makes him an interesting villain, because he thinks that what he's doing is righteous. And maybe that's attributable to him being a priest and believing this is the right way to attain heaven. Um, And I think, yeah, it's it's better than having a villain just be evil just because they should be evil. Although Dio does it well. Yeah, he does do it well. (laughs) He's he's the one exception. Um, But yeah, in Pucci's case, it's it is very scary. Because, like you said, it's he's kind of living in these delusions of grandeur without realizing the extent of the damage that he is truly doing. But moving on from Pucci, let's talk about the important reveal in this episode, or I think is an important reveal in this episode, and that is the return of Jotaro. That almost felt like, okay, this is spoilers for Avengers Endgame, but... You know, you should have watched it by now. Uh, when Falcon radios Captain America in the climax of that movie and says, on your left, like it's, it felt kind of muted because it's just Jotaro sending a text message. Because then you're wondering, like, oh, did he fully recover? And you can tell by the text that, like, he's fine now. But I was hoping for, a, like, a grander entrance for Jotaro. Although we do get one in the next episode, yeah. which is great. Uh, but I was just, once I saw that text come through, and I think it shows his hand badge, his hand badge that's on his hat. The Lucky Land logo? Yeah. like I Or is that the logo? It's one of the logos. I don't it, know. Yeah, I, I forget what. Or I think it's just uh, uh, a badge that appears on his hat that was drawn in part three. Um, but yeah, it was just, I was ecstatic to know that he, he was... He was back and not that I didn't know that he was going to come back, but you know, it's like seeing an old friend again or hearing his voice rather. 
Yeah, I think Jotaro's text message is kind of the ray of hope that you need in this very dark moment where they think Jolene is dead. But then he says, it's okay, she's alive. I'm like, okay. Again, it would have been a cool cliffhanger if Jotaro was like, what's going on with my daughter? How are things with you guys? But it's very in character for Jotaro. Yeah, like he knows. Like he's smart. He's a Star. He knows. He can sense she's still alive. He knows that he's, I mean... That's his daughter. Like he, he trusts that she has the Joestar resolve um, to do something smart to protect herself, and uh, I, I, it was very hype. Despite it being in the fucking trailer for the third core, which I thought was kind of unfortunate, mm-hmm. it is nice still to see the full text message and get that that sense of hope or relief um, that I'm sure Emporio is feeling as he's reading that. The weird thing, though, is that Jotaro mentions in the text that his calls aren't going through. So how was he able to text Emporio? Maybe he sent the text and it floated around in outer space for a little while until it finally got a signal. Mm, okay. I mean, that happens to text once in a while for like anybody, really. I think when it says, like, can't fucking deliver because you don't have signal. But you can kind of let it just sit there and it'll deliver on its own when it finally does get signal. But if there's already no signal, if he can't make calls... And there, there's not like a separate signal for texts, is there? Unless it was like a blip of a signal, like not mm. enough to make a call, okay. but it just kind of caught the text. That, that's my logic. I don't know. It's a good point. Um, I don't know how cell towers work, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know how all that oh. shit works. But <laughs> that would be my my only explanation is like maybe he, his phone it's, it's, caught a moment it's of it. Fate. There, there you there go. It fate is. allowed yeah, it. <laughs> fate allowed him to send that text to Emporio. And the episode ends with Anasui chasing after Poochie, saying that he needs to kill him in order to protect Jolene. And I'm like, hey, that's fair. Everyone's got to try and kill Poochie because at this point he is just living life and no one seems to be able to stop him or slow him down. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 34, Sea Moon 1. So did you think this episode was a bit lunatic? It was crazy. It was High intensity. It was a fun ride. Just like the previous episode, like this just flew by even when I was rewatching it. And although the whole Sea Moon thing is going to be short lived, at least it's very entertaining, very interesting. And I think the stand power makes perfect sense for Poochie and what he's doing. I mean, it's reversing gravity, it's controlling gravity in a different way. You've got Poochie changing the direction of gravity being the center of gravity, I guess, or the the gravitational pull. And then you've got his stand that is able to change the direction of gravity at at will as well. And despite the missed opportunity to have a really cool cliffhanger ending, I think it still ends on a a high note. It gets you hyped for that next episode. Granted, you didn't have to wait long because Netflix released it as a batch instead of doing a weekly thing. But either way, it makes you so excited to see what's going to happen next, which we all know is Jotaro's actual return, and I think a really cool moment for Jolene. So this is setting us up for some fun stuff. What about you? Yeah, I thought this episode was a ferocious demonstration of Pucci's newest power in his quest to attain heaven. And as a good Jojo always does, Jolene puts up a good fight against Simun's scientifically stupefying strength. Even as Emporio and Anasui take a cue from Speedwagon's book and are just screaming their asses off at her to do this or do that. Um, Defying gravity, I'm sure, isn't an easy feat. And even Poochie comes to realize that, knowing that he needs to preserve Sea Moon for the final phase of his plan. So I think Jolene's premature death in the climax just goes to show how the stakes are incredibly high now in putting a stop to Poochie's antics. And that when push comes to shove, you got to call in backup. And so in that regard, just hearing my boy Jotaro's voice near the end of the episode was just an incredibly hype moment. And at that time, it gave me a renewed assurance that the Stars have got this in the bag against Pucci. Or do they? And of course, we'll have to find out next time. But man, I am excited for the next episode. Yeah, look forward to that discussion because it's it's going to be good. I've, I, I'm already super excited to talk about Del Toro's return, to talk about Jolene's reaction to him returning, and then like all the crazy shit that happens right after, and and seeing Jolene meet ever Jolene Jotaro meet everyone for the first time, 
it's it's still a a crazy thought to think that the Joe Bros, the core team, is meeting each other for the first time this late into the show. So it's going to be minus Foo Fighters. I know, yeah, <laughs> poor Foo and Fighters. weather report. Yeah, poor weather report. Damn. <laughs> but either way, it's going to be a great discussion. So look forward to that. And thank you guys as always for tuning in, and we appreciate you. Please subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like our newest patron, Scrumps, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.